You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. An Oxford biology lab has been hacked. A Zoom impersonation phishing campaign afflicts targets in the EU. Senators are disappointed in Amazon's decision not to appear at this week's Solar Winds hearing. NSA advocates adopting zero trust principles. CISU issues alerts on industrial control systems. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security describes increases to its cybersecurity grant programs. Dinah Davis examines how healthcare is being targeted by ransomware. Our guest is Michael Hamilton from CI Security on the Public Infrastructure Security Cyber Education System. And NIST's draft IoT security standards are still open for comment, but you better act fast. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, February 26, 2021. Oxford University confirmed yesterday that its Division of Structural Biology, a prominent lab working on understanding COVID 19, had been accessed by unauthorized parties. The Division of Structural Biology, familiarly Strubi, is not the Oxford unit that's been working with AstraZeneca on a COVID vaccine. That work has been going on at the Oxford Vaccine Group and Jenner Institute. Instead, Strubi's research has concentrated on understanding the virus's mechanisms of action, more basic research that would certainly usefully inform development of vaccines and other therapies. Forbes says the intruders accessed machines used to prepare biochemical samples. It's unclear what they were after, and the screenshots of the criminal's post seen by Forbes makes it almost appear that the hackers were counting coup by showing off the access they'd gained. The screenshots seem to show access to control interfaces with an implied ability to control lab equipment pressure gauges. While the screenshots showed more evidence of capability for sabotage than they did signs of stolen data, it seems reasonable to speculate that the threat actor is a criminal group offering stolen biomedical data for sale to nation-state intelligence services. Hold Security provided Forbes with screenshots of sites on which the attackers were seeking to drum up interest in their wares. Oxford has been understandably tight-lipped about the details of the incident, which it's reported to the Information Commissioner's Office. The National Cybersecurity Center has the matter under investigation. Security firm Great Horn has identified a Zoom-based phishing impersonation campaign currently active in the European Union. It's a credential harvesting campaign, and its phishing emails enjoy some success despite their poor idiomatic control of written English. 
The criminals have taken some care to make their URLs look like the now-familiar links legitimate Zoom users have grown accustomed to, and it seems that the look of the URL has been a shiny enough bit of fishbait to get the victims to bite. Of the publicly stated good government, well-intentioned bits of consensus to emerge from this week's hearings before the U.S. Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, the one that seems to have assumed the highest profile is the importance of information sharing. It was not only recommended as a means of preventing other similar supply chain attacks, but also introduced in exculpation by SolarWinds, which said it wished it had been afforded sufficient liability protection to enable it to share more, without fear of being sued. Microsoft, FireEye, and, of course, SolarWinds all offered testimony. Amazon declined, and the Wall Street Journal reports that there was some bipartisan disapproval of the company's failure to appear. Amazon was invited to testify, and the senators believed that the company, which wasn't itself compromised but whose cloud infrastructure was used by the threat actors, could have had valuable insights to contribute. Amazon is said to have shared relevant information privately, but the committee thinks a public airing of the circumstances under which the cyber espionage was accomplished could have been valuable. There's no particular suggestion that Amazon was negligent, and indeed several experts have observed that it's effectively impossible to prevent that sort of abuse of a cloud service, but the committee is considering compelling testimony at future hearings. NSA has published a cybersecurity information document that urges cybersecurity professionals to adopt a zero-trust security model. A system engineered according to zero-trust principles can better position them to secure sensitive data, systems, and services. NSA calls out three zero-trust guiding principles. First, never trust, always verify. Second, assume breach. And third, verify explicitly. And four design principles, which would be define mission outcomes, Architect from the inside out, determine who or what needs access to the data, assets, applications, and services to create access control policies, and inspect and log all traffic before acting. Making this work, Fort Meade cautions, will require persistent adherence to the mindset and comparable attention to the model's application. CISA yesterday issued four advisories on industrial control systems, ProSoft Technology ICX35, Fatech FV Designer, Perfect OpenVPN Client, and Rockwell Automation Logics Controllers. Clarity quietly disclosed a cryptographic flaw in the last-mentioned Rockwell PLCs to the manufacturer last year. Now that Rockwell has fixed the vulnerability, Clarity has provided details. An attacker could have discovered a secret cryptographic key used to verify communication between the PLC and its engineering station. This could permit an attacker to mimic a workstation and manipulate manufacturing processes. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security has increased grant funding for state and local cybersecurity preparedness programs. DHS Secretary Mayorkas explained, quote, With today's grant awards, I am also directing additional grant funding to support cybersecurity efforts. As we have seen in recent events, attacks to our cyber networks can have devastating effects. Accordingly, I have required that SHSP and UASI recipients spend at least 7.5% of their grant awards to enhance their cybersecurity posture. With this funding, 
state and local grant recipients can conduct cybersecurity risk assessments, strengthen their .gov internet domains, improve the cybersecurity of their critical infrastructure, and conduct additional cybersecurity training and planning. End quote. And finally, NIST, the U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technology, has extended its deadline for comments on four draft documents that outline a set of Internet of Things security standards. The documents include three NIST interagency internal reports, and the fourth is a special publication. So comment if you got them, but don't lollygag and act soon. The newly extended deadline expires today. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. Michael Hamilton is founder and CISO of CI Security. He's also the former CISO of the City of Seattle. He joins us today to discuss PISES, the Public Infrastructure Security Cyber Education System. We perform security monitoring of small local governments at no charge uh, in return for using the data that we collect as real-time curriculum for five universities. So how do you measure success in terms of the, the small cities and, and towns that you're serving here? When, is, when this information comes back to them, um, are you seeing it? it, it are they, is it um, actionable? 
Uh, it is. And so they're very appreciative of the fact that they are being brought into the loop. And as I'm looking at tickets right now, I see one, two, three, four cities uh, that probably need contact. And I've already contacted a county this morning. You know, a lot of this stuff is false positives and the students are learning. So, you know, we have someone that adjudicates whether or not a customer needs to be contacted and an event escalated. Um, we are telling the customers things about their networks that they don't know. Um, for example, there is one jurisdiction here in Washington State that is really getting pounded by somebody. And so, you know, we've given them uh, instructions on, um, uh, you know, network blocks, things to check in their own logs, et cetera, et cetera. But to your question, really, the success metric are the people getting hired, because our intent is to make sure that we have a much stronger bench in our state, Washington State. Colorado will probably be the next one to start up a Pisces chapter. We've talked to folks in Texas, Oklahoma, and South Carolina. And in fact, one of the universities that is teaching the Pisces curriculum is Alabama A&M, which is one of our historically black colleges and universities. And we are intent on uh, making sure that we do a better job of getting into the rest of the HBCUs and turning brothers and sisters into analysts. And interestingly, you know, just broad vision kind of thing, you know, you, you don't need to live near the building anymore to work for the company. Mm-hmm. And what we have found is, and what the universities have told us is, when we graduate our students, we really want them to stay in the local economy. Well, this also provides that mechanism because uh, to a great extent, you know, technical roles are able to work remotely. And as we've worked with auditors to design security controls, you know, for the, for the commercial side of the business, uh, right, because my business, CI Security, we do this commercial monitoring, right? And we're mm-hmm. Set that aside. Mm-hmm. But we've talked to our auditors and said, hey, you know, if we have following controls in place, do they have to be in this sock we spent $100,000 on? They said no. So what this means is, applied more broadly, this is a way to get folks in not only underserved communities in terms of you know minority and people of color, but in places where there are no technical jobs in the middle of Kansas. And if, you, if that's what your quality of life is as defined by you, knock yourself out, man. Go live there. Make you know this kind of salary and squirt that into local economy. So in a larger sense, this is one of the tools that we have in the United States of kind of moving the chess pieces around so that everything isn't all concentrated in, you know, the Bay Area and Seattle mm-hmm. and, you know. Yeah, really, it really sounds like you've, you've, you're have you onto a win-win here. Like, there's, everybody benefits from this. It's it's an untapped, uh, or it's, I guess these small cities and towns are, are an area that um, might be, I don't know, too small for a lot of companies to want to take the time to, to exactly invest right. in supporting. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, and again, you know, they can't afford it, you know. Right, but, right. But here's the thing. I mean, counties, counties run 911. Only counties run 911. They also do elections, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, frankly, there's a lot of IT involved in both of those things. And, um, you know, the fact that they can't afford uh, the kind of controls that, you know, their larger brethren in some of these larger jurisdictions can doesn't mean they're any less critical, so, yeah, it is a win-win because the infrastructure protection 
And, you know, in fact, you know, helping these folks with their networks, you know, I've, I had somebody make a DNS change in their firewall that solved a bunch of problems for them. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there is, there is value to be gained here. Keeping it free for the small jurisdictions is a real goal. And that's why we have to get to, you know, a sustainable business model here. You know, we just got our nonprofit status, so that will change something. But uh, yeah, it's, it's win-win. And as we move uh, into uh, our next objective, which is to making sure that uh, students midway through their scholastic career can go out and intern with the local jurisdictions that we're monitoring so that they actually get some, you know, boots on the ground experience too. Uh, we're, and, you know, we also want to talk to the American Hospital Association about doing the same thing, you know, potentially getting them interns so that, you know, they're on, especially rural hospitals are on the financial ropes too. They need help. So, you know, this is all about doing public good, but longer term, it's solving this problem that we have in the United States that everybody thinks they want to solve by creating the next new gizmo to sell you. You know, we know we got to make people. So we're going to make mm. people. That's Michael Hamilton from CI Security. You can learn more about Pisces at their website, pisces-nw.org. There is a lot more to our interview. Don't forget to go listen to extended versions of this and many other interviews at CyberWire Pro. It's on our website, thecyberwire.com. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dinah Davis. She is the VP of R&D for Arctic Wolf. Dinah, it is always great to have you back. Um, you know, we are seeing this sort of relentless onslaught of ransomware. And a lot of these folks are focusing on healthcare. I want to touch base with you on, on that particular element of this. Where, where do we find ourselves today? What do you think? Yeah, it's it's pretty uh, intense. You know, October alone saw a 71% increase in ransomware attacks against health, the healthcare sector in the US. So hmm. that's that's pretty intense. Right. Why healthcare in particular? What what puts the big target on their back? Yeah, so I think, you know, they're a little bit easier to target for a couple reasons. One, they feel like uh, the attackers feel like healthcare's more likely to pay because of the life and death situation that the ransom causes, right? Mm. You ransom all those life support machines and they need to get those back up because they're actually looking at, you know, people's lives here. So that's one. Uh, Two, they're often running equipment that's older and harder to upgrade, right? Running specialized systems. Um, And historically, hospitals have probably had a, a low amount of funding for their IT staff and updating things. So their I-team is often stretched thin, um, and that makes them, you know, a bigger, a bigger target, right? So that that's one of that's I think a big reason. And then I think on top of that, with COVID, the hospitals are even more stressed. And like these nasty attackers think this is even a better opportunity. Um, I think it's pretty despicable, but this is what they're doing. Um yeah. and then in early November, like it was already kind of bad. Um, and then in early November, uh, the FBI issued this warning against uh, more ransomware attacks coming on U.S. hospitals. Um, mm-hmm. 
And so this was like, we were like, oh my gosh, um, at Arctic Wolf. And so we, you know, we were able to put in a lots of extra monitoring in place for our healthcare people um, mm -hmm. and helping them to go and upgrade their systems. Like, so really working hard with them to say, okay, patch, 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 patch here, because the most important thing here is that you have the least amount of risk we can handle, and then we will watch for the rest of it. So I guess the big question then becomes, you know, like, how do they prevent this, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's such a, it's it's a huge attack surface. And, yeah. and as you say, it's a, they, they, they're serving a critical mission there. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, you're in the healthcare industry. What can you do uh, to prevent from being ransomed? So one, ensure you have good security practices and security training. Remember that for ransomware to get in, you only need one person to click a bad link. So- mm -hmm. The more training you do, the more you empower your uh, employees to understand what they're doing, um, the better you're going to be. Um, you should have a security team doing 24 by 7 monitoring. Whether you're going to build that yourself or you're going to hire it, uh, you really have to be watching all the time. And then, of course, you know, patch, 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 <laughs> patch all right, the things. Right. <laughs> well, when um, you say monitoring, what are what specifically are we talking about here? What 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 does that mean? Yeah, so you want to be watching um, like the network traffic flow coming in and out of your hospitals. You want to monitor. Uh, you really want to monitor stuff that's happening on your um, your email software. So you know, are people uh, adding new accounts? Who's adding it? Um, are they setting up email forwarding rules? That is a big uh, attack vector right now. Uh, mm. Set up an email. Compromise somebody's account, set up an email forwarding rule to watch for certain types of messages, and then be able to craft a really nice phishing message back, right? To get money or to install something else, right? Um, so you want to not only monitor your like your physical network, you want to monitor your cloud network as well, right? So your Office 365. If you have anything running in Amazon or in Google Cloud, um, all of that kind of stuff, you want to have endpoints installed on your uh, laptop so that we can monitor anything that's happening on those. Any kind of um, flow traffic intrusion uh, places is where you want to be monitoring. Yeah. Yeah, it's so critical. You know, it's funny. My my colleague, uh, Joe Kerrigan, is uh, at Johns Hopkins. And of course, mm -hmm. uh, uh, he's at the university, but they're also famous for having uh, a world-class hospital. And he makes the point often that if um, if security is going to get in the way of a doctor being able to do something they need to do to to do healthcare, mm -hmm. um, security is going to take a back seat to that. Yeah. Uh, and and that and and that is it is appropriate, but it is also a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know. It's hard, right? You you probably you know one of the big things um, that we also you know say is have a good backup plan. Okay, mm. so put in as much as you can to try and prevent things from happening, but it's likely something's going to happen. So do right. you have a good response plan? When do you have good backup so you can recover really quickly, whether you pay the ransom or not? Two. Um, run through mock scenarios with company leadership 
So they know what to do when it happens. So what happens if all of your stuff in your hospital, everything goes offline? What mm-hmm. are you going to do? If you have a plan for that, you're going to have minimal impact, right? I mean, there'll be mm-hmm. impact, but it'll be minimal. Be, don't be the least secure hospital. Be, right. <laughs> right? right? I know it's a little bit silly, but but it is true. Don't, you know, even if you can only do a few things, do those things, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It will help you. I don't have to outrun the bear. I only have to outrun you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Dinah Davis, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. No problem. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. You deserve it, too. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker. Be sure to take some time this weekend and check out our episode of Research Saturday. This week, I speak with Maritz Lucas from Intel 471, we're going to be discussing the current state of China's cybercrime underground. That's Research Saturday. Do check it out. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Music.